everybody. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, VPAC. As always, we frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. You guys know that I'm passionate about thriving in life, and that's the mindset, and that's the physical aspect and everything else that goes into truthfully thriving in life, right? We want to be high achievers. We want to be goal achievers. And we bring guests on every week that allow you and allow me to start to understand this process and almost demystify and decode this process a little bit. And I bet you're curious about who today's guest is. Today's guest is none other than yours truly. <laughs> We're going to switch the format a bit on you today, guys. We're actually going to do a Q&A session where I bring a co-host on to interview me, talk to me a little bit, and answer the questions that you guys have been asking me through Instagram, through Twitter, through muscleintelligence.com, and through iTunes, because I want to give back. You guys are asking so many great questions. You've asked for these type of formats, and I want to include them once a week from now going forward. I'm bringing in this amazing co-host who I've got to know extremely well recently. I've been on her podcast twice, actually, and I was so amazed with her ability to interview someone and maintain a conversation. She's by far the best podcast host that I've come across in a long time. She blows me out of the water. You guys are going to absolutely love Ashley Van Houten. Welcome her to the Muscle Intelligence Q&A portion. We're going to be doing an ongoing segment once a week where she throws questions at me. So if you want to have one of your questions asked, if you want to learn a little bit about some of the topics that I talk about, you guys can head over to muscleintelligence.com right now slash podcasts and leave a question there for me or for Ashley if there's something she talks about that you guys want to hear. You can also obviously head over to uh, iTunes, leave us a review or leave us a question on there. We'll pull those directly off and answer as many questions as we can, provided uh, we have time and it's a very relevant question. So you guys weren't curious about what I have to say. <laughs> Hopefully you guys enjoy these types of shows. And if you love it, let us know. Let us know that we should be doing more. We should keep it going. And uh, if you do love it, guys, we guys will hear one of these every week between myself and Ashley Van Houten as we dive into all of your personal questions. Enjoy the show. today's episode, I've brought somebody on to interview me. And this is a great friend of mine I want to introduce you guys to. You may or may not know about her. And I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a minute. And the way I found this lady who's going to be interviewing me is I've actually been blessed to be on the podcast with her twice. She's interviewed me. And it was one of the most fun interviews I've ever had. We had great conversation, very, very similar views on how to optimize life in general. So, and that encompasses the physical body, that encompasses the mindset, that encompasses just values around everything to do with life optimization. And the other thing I liked about it is we actually have some opposing views on some things. We may actually butt heads a little bit. And I thought that would be very interesting for you guys to listen to. So Ashley Van Houten is going to interview me today. And you guys may know her from Paleo Magazine Radio, which was a great interview that I did maybe about a year ago now. Yeah. It's been about a year since I've been Ashley. And since then, we've kept in touch, become great friends, and I'm very blessed to have Ashley sitting here now with me. And she's going to just pepper me with all the questions she's come up with and all the ones you guys have sent in. And we're going to make this a regular thing. And if you guys like it, we'll do it all the time. If you, you know, really enjoy it, let us know. Send us a review. 
And this is just going to give you guys kind of an insight into my life. And ultimately, I'll probably throw some back at Ashley as well. Um, it'll be a really unique opportunity for discussion. But first, I want to tell you guys why I started this podcast. And I think I've never really taken time to, to define the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. And maybe with um, people who have come and followed us over from the Muscle Expert, ultimately, it's a continuation. But Muscle Expert seemed to pigeonhole me very much into muscle. And you guys realize that you know, after 20 years spent as a professional bodybuilder, as an aspiring bodybuilder, and then professional, I was very myopic around you know, how to build muscle. It was very much my conversation was like, hey, you know, train hard, train intelligently, eat this way, and you know, that's how you build muscle. But behind the scenes, there was so much more that went into my success ultimately, right? And this is the mind games and the mindset optimization and the paying attention to the sleep and the paying attention to the stress management. And as I started to develop strategies, I thought this, or I started to realize that this ended up being even more important than what you're doing in the gym sometimes. And it ended up being more important than I was doing nutritionally, what I was doing nutritionally sometimes. So I wanted to create a framework for everybody so you can start to understand, you know, hey, muscle building is a huge part of my life. But there's so many other things that allowed me to become successful at what I did and now allow me to become successful in things that I do beyond bodybuilding. So that's really the premise of this Muscle Intelligence Podcast. And I'm building this framework for you guys so you can start to thrive in your life. And I've been talking a lot and I want to let Ashley take over because she's much better at this conversation interview thing than I am. So... Ashley, welcome. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be here. I'm not going to blow too much smoke, but um, it's very, very exciting to be here and to, to have the job of getting to grill you and ask, <laughs> ask all the fun and maybe potentially embarrassing, but also uh, yeah. potentially funny. You know, just all the I'm questions. I'm not funny that I think ever. We'll figure you it are out. Though. Yeah, we'll figure yes. it out. Yeah. No, but I really appreciate being here. And, you know, it's the time that I've spent getting to know you and learning from you has been awesome. And I'm just excited to kind of do it in this format too. And I think it's fun because we, as I told you, we've been developing a huge female segment and I don't have any opinions on female. I think you have well, opinions. Well, I do, but, but I don't know if it's opinions. valid. Yeah. Right? Like I, I, I want to get... <laughs> I don't know. I want to get a woman's perspective on a lot of things. And I think there'll be a nice dynamic in us talking about male conversation and female things that, like I said, I feel incredibly uncomfortable talking about. But, you know, hey, yeah. that's, that's why we're here. And I mean, I appreciate too that this is going to be a bit of a unique situation in that a lot of fitness, wellness, health podcasts tend to be either directed towards men exclusively yeah. or directed towards women. And even the, the fun ones where there's a couple people getting together and having a conversation, it's always like all women are all men. And I think that we kind of need to bring the gap. And that's one of the things I really wanted to do. Well, you I do an awesome job talking about dude stuff and you do an awesome job talking about girl stuff. I appreciate that. I mean, it's yeah. because I'm in a dude world. Yeah. So I, I have more of an insight to that, right. but being a chick, I get, I get the little inside track there too, but that's, that's what I, I don't want to exclude anybody. I just want to include more people. Well, that's, that's the same as me, right? It's yeah. not just like, Hey, I want to help men. It's like, yeah. I think human optimization is this general blanket statement that there's, there's a core facet or uh, some core tenets that everyone kind of should follow that um, will just allow every human being to become a high achiever, right? If that's your objective, and I think that's the objective of everyone on the podcast, or everyone listens to the podcast, how do we, you know, set up some type of framework to allow us to, you know, dial in our days and dial in our weeks and our months so that we're progressing toward becoming a high achiever and ultimately achieving our highest self? Yep. Yeah. But as I was just saying uh, yesterday, I think that there's the sort of visibility part of it, right? It's like, there's a lot of us out there, a lot of girls who like to work out and get jacked and learn and be strong. And sometimes 
hearing from someone who sounds like us and has the same concerns as us, even speaking to, you know, dudes. Yeah, like it's, I, I, it's love, I love learning. that you embody this strong, independent, healthy, intelligent female, right? That's trying my best. Yeah, you're doing an amazing job. And, and like, and again, not blowing smoke, but being honest, right? And we need more people like yourself. And I hope you're, you know, able to step up and live into that opportunity you have. That's like, hey, I'm going to lead this um, conversation around ladies. And it's like, not about, we talk about this, not about just showing your ass on Instagram. It's about like, hey, how can I actually have things of substance and value and contribution to the world? And not saying everyone is you know, showing their ass on Instagram, but we want to create a, a generation of women that leads and they're strong and they're independent and they feel empowered to speak their mind and to be authentic. And you know, these are all parts of the conversation you and I will have uh, over time. Ben, did I ever send you the article I wrote that is entitled, Should I Show My Ass on Instagram to Build My Brand? <laughs> because I wrote this two years ago out of frustration really? with the medium of Instagram, which I have somewhat come... I, I've found peace with it, how Instagram works and how it doesn't work. I'm still struggling with it, but I, I get to send you this article because maybe we'll post it somewhere because it it's funny. It got some laughs, but there's like some real, real talk in there. And I actually had right. some men responding who were like, I kind of deal with this problem too. Like there's... It's always a push and pull between how do I get somebody's attention to to actually get the real information out there? You know, if we don't have a platform like you do where you can, you can post anything, people are going to look at it. It's unfortunate, right? Because like, (laughs) if you want to make money on Instagram, you end up getting positive reinforcement for like, Hey, if you show your ass, you get 10,000 followers or 10,000 likes or whatever, Mm -hmm. someone's going to pay you. Mm -hmm. And that's the positive reinforcement that, you know, unfortunately it's not going away. Right. And same with guys, like, Hey, you show your abs or your pecs or your biceps or whatever else you want to show. And people are going to pay you for that. And that's the unfortunate reality. And again, it's not going away. And I don't think we should bash that too much because it's the reality what I think we should do is, is just create an awareness around the reality that, Start curating what you paying attention, what you pay attention to on that stuff, right? We talk yeah. about this idea of covert influence, where there's things happening behind the scenes that are influencing you unconsciously, and that's one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Is you know we're all being influenced by the things we see, whether or not you realize it or not. So start curating that, like how much time you're spending on social media, who are you following on social media? Are you following just people because hey, it's it's a piece of meat or it's you know great set abs? And sometimes it's okay to look at that, right? If that's inspiration for you, mm-hmm. but realize what it is, right? It's it's it shouldn't make you feel bad about yourself shouldn't make that shouldn't be the standard of acceptable physique yeah uh, it's just like hey my only objective is to be my greatest self right to love me to love myself so that i can convey love to the world and you know tom bill you asked me that question when i was on his podcast and he said yeah, what does it mean like i said like i am love and he said what does that mean and i really didn't have a good answer so i spent a lot of time lately pondering it and meditating on it and i think it's this idea of being able to give to give myself and in a way that you expect nothing in return, right? So to give selflessly to my family, to my team, to my followers, whoever, and literally expect nothing in return. And that to me is how we can define love. It's almost unconditional, right? It's like, I'm just going to be this person, this authentic person. And again, I, I never, never claim that I'm perfect, but this authentic person who gives and never expects anything in return. That's really what I think that means to me. That's a tough one. It is. That's easier is. said than done. No question, especially in the world we're in, right? And I told you, like, I'm often offered things and I'm like, no, thank you. Like, I'll pay for it myself. Mm-hmm. That's a very empowering place to come from. And I still, like I say, I'm not perfect. There's still some things where, so as a bodybuilder, this this entitlement comes from, you know, bodybuilders get this bad reputation for being entitled, which is absolutely true. 
but it's because it's made that way, right? Like when you look that way, people go out of their way to do things for you. Like I got upgraded to first class 80% of the time I flew and I never asked for it. No one wants to sit next to you and coach. Sure. But regardless, sure. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you get free food when you go out for restaurants, you get, you know, like people just do things for you. And all of a sudden when they stop, you're like, well, why aren't you doing that for me? Like you should be doing that for me. And that, that started at a very young age and it starts at a young age with this entitlement and there's benefit to that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But at the same time, that entitlement that came that still existed in my mind, you know, toward the end of my career, I was aware of it. Yeah. So I started to become more aware of the fact that like, no, I want to be able to afford to pay for this myself. And how empowering is that? Right. Mm-hmm. So again. That also goes back to, I think, one of the core tenets of what you're trying to do, which is, well, a couple of them, it's integrity and it's discipline because, and I always come from things from a, like an ancestral, physiological, kind of biological standpoint. And we talked about this yesterday where it's human nature. You almost can't blame yourself or anyone else for taking the easy road, right? If you have this sort of entitlement mindset and people are giving you things, or if you have a cute butt and it gets you money on Instagram, it's like you almost kind of, we all have to take ownership, but you kind of can't blame people for taking sure. the easy road. It's a lot harder to say, I could do this. I could get all this free stuff. I could have all this stuff given to me and I'm going to choose right. to go the tougher well, way. That's the conversation that's often had around athletes that have talent, right? So you get a bodybuilder who's got this great physique from the time they're 18 years old and it's, it's easy for them. They're like, oh, you know, it's easy. And so they stop having to, they stop having the pain that drives the work. So oftentimes you get these bodybuilders or, or athletes of any kind who are so blessed and everyone's like, oh my gosh, this person's like the next coming of the greatest athlete ever. And then they just fall off the face of the planet because they don't have that drive to go after it. And that's effectively what's happening, right? So it, it, you know, it's when you have someone who has the physique and the drive is when they thrive. And so that's effectively what's happening in this physique world is like you get these girls or guys who are just showing their body and uh, they, they kind of lose the motivation to do anything. And that just becomes their entitlement. Like, I'm just going to continue to show my ass. Uh, where they could actually be taking that and turning into a vehicle for doing good and actually helping people and inspiring people and being kind and being a good person and not being an entitled person. And, um, you know, I don't know that we, people want to talk about or hear us talk about this stuff too much because I think it's maybe overdone a little bit, but, you know, I'm blessed to have you or I feel grateful to have you here to as someone who's uh, has integrity to this mission of like actually helping people live a greater life and, and looking at all the facets, you know, the six pillars that I speak about is, you know, the, the top of the totem pole for everything is your mind, right? It all starts in your mind. And I'm trying to bridge the gap between uh, people understanding the necessity of mind optimization. Like how do we get rid of depression? How do we get rid of anxiety? How do we uh, ultimately change our mind, change our brain mm-hmm. so that we can live this optimized life? Because where your brain goes, your body will follow. So people are, we have so many people out there chasing body optimization, right? And, and your body's reflection of your mind. So if your mind is overstressed or anxious or depressed or whatever it is, you'll never be able to build your body well without anabolic drugs, right? So anabolics changes the playing field a little bit. That's another um, topic. We'll, sure, yeah, we'll dive into that. Yeah. But that changes the playing field, right? So what anabolics do, obviously increase photosynthesis, increase recovery, but they're also in, they're also a parasympathetic stimulus. So they also bring down that, they balance out the playing field with the sympathetic stress. So you can be anxious and stressed, depressed, and take a bunch of gear and you will build muscle. But if you're, you know, that's not where we want to go, right? You don't want to be dependent on that stuff. Like if you decide to use that as, a, as an adjunct, that's your decision. But um, you still want to treat yourself like you're a natural athlete and optimize everything you can. Otherwise, building muscle, you just won't optimize. You won't build maximal stuff, right? Like, could you? can you get away training like a mindless monkey? Yes. But eventually going to get hurt. You're not going to build maximum muscle, which is why I started teaching what I teach. I was like, hey, man, like challenge the muscle. 
don't lift weights. It's the and then opposite. you're moving through autopilot and that's also a reflection on the rest of your life. If you're spending your hour or two hours in the gym, just kind of going through the motions, you're wasting your time. Right. And we talked about this yesterday. It's like every second of your life is an opportunity to create a new habit or to reinforce an old one. And that realization and becoming present in this moment and going, am I becoming more mindless in my training or am I becoming more conscious in my training? I think everyone needs to be aware of. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm shining the big red light in your eye right now, audience. Like, mm-hmm. every single moment is an opportunity to enforce a, reinforce a bad habit or create the one that you actually want every single second of your life. And in the gym, the longer you go into those bad mindless habits, the longer it's going to take to break them, right? So people in their 30s and 40s often say it's harder to, you know, to teach an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. That's why, because you've reinforced them so many times. It doesn't mean it's impossible, yeah. but that's the start of it, right? It's like you need to start looking at, you know, how do I just pay attention to this one little habit? Because yes, it does matter. Everyone's like, oh, like one cookie or one wrap or it does because that's what is being reinforced in your brain. So I think I told you about Jacques Taylor, who's a great friend of mine, who we're going to be doing a lot of work together, um, how he's really started leading this conversation around the synergy between your body and your mind. And, and as you're training, what are you thinking about? Because you're literally kind of joining these two things together. So the next time I train, if, you know, if someone out there doesn't like to work out or they're maybe not getting motivated, well, the thought of that going into the workout is getting reinforced every time you go back into workout. So you need to literally spend that time before you train and create your mind. And I talk about this all the time, like sit your ass down in the morning or before you train or anytime, like take 30 seconds right now and create your mind, right? Like, who am I going to be today? How am I going to show up? Am I going to be confident? Am I going to be, I don't know, whatever, entitled? Am I going to be whatever? Like you decide it. But taking that time allows you to then reinforce with the workout, that conscious mindset. So I have my coach do that. My coaches do this stuff as we reinforce um, joy, achievement, and fulfillment. So if you're a client coming into our gym, we're actually going to start talking to you and having a conversation about, you know, hey, Ash, t- tell me a time when you felt joy in your life. Or like, tell me a time when you felt achievement or fulfillment and talk to me about it. Like, tell me, like, can you go there? Tell me a little bit more details. Like, how did you feel? How did you look? What was your posture like? Okay, now go do your set or now go do your workout. And we'll try to take you there as often as we can during the sets. And um, there's certainly a really unique opportunity to start changing somebody's brain and changing their association with that workout. Now, every time they walk into the door of the gym and they they literally open the door of the gym and they feel that joy and fulfillment and achievement coming back because that's what they're associating with that environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's such an opportunity there that nobody's talking about, right? Like to make everyone enjoy training, to make everybody feel empowered when they train. You can bring empowerment into your body, into your mind, just by changing that and now anchoring it with the workout. I think one of the reasons why people aren't talking about it in that way as much is because yes, it's more esoteric, but also it's harder. It's ultimately more rewarding and more. Yeah. So, and we've, I'm just playing devil's advocate with you because we talked about this before too, but you know, you, you say that where the mind goes, the body will follow, but I would argue that it also works the other way around, right? So where the body goes, the mind will follow. And that seems to be. It's a necessity to create the, the plastic change in the brain. But it seems like that is, and again, I just finished saying that we shouldn't take the easy way out, but it does seem like a more accessible way to approach it in the first place. Because for those of us who are just, maybe we think our problem is that we need to work out more or we need to lose weight or we need to feel better about ourselves by getting jacked. So it's a much harder sell to tell somebody, well, let's work on your brain and your mindset and your thoughts, get them in the gym first. And then the rest of it. But the gonna... point being, you can't separate the two, right? Like you can't just work out and sure. not work on your mind. And sure. you can't just work on your mind and not exercise because 
the exercise is the thing you causing can't. causing. You can't just work on your brain and not work work out in the gym. It, no, well, it doesn't work. The brain is not as receptive to new information. Mm. Yeah. So, so are a lot of yogis doing it wrong, just chilling? Well, yoga is, is extremely stimulating to the body because you're, you're so aware of your proprioception, right? I mean like this kind of. Like just meditation? Like, yes. Well, meditation can cause neuroplastic changes too, mm-hmm. but maybe in a different way. I think mm-hmm. there's no question that all different types of physical activity, like anytime you learn a new skill, your brain is growing, mm-hmm. right? So this idea of how many different skills can I learn, right? Like as we get older, why do they say people who learn a new language after 50 don't get Alzheimer's? You know, yeah. it's just your brain is growing. You're developing new neurons. So exercise or any type of learning is a necessity to that. So, but yeah, you can't, you can't divide these two. Like you can't just be someone who sits at home and works in the brain because the brain literally won't be as responsive without the physical activity, right? There's so much research now that's coming out that I'm diving into daily. We're going to get more guests in the podcast in this, in this realm of like how the brain makes neuroplastic changes, how to make it more effective. And you can do that through vision. You can do that through sound. I was actually talking to somebody two days ago about um, how they're uh, introducing like different types of sound in to help people who have uh, like, uh, I think it's called a, um, atonia. So like some type of dysregulation of body tone or dystonia. So yeah, like you could just start just by playing music. And you can stimulate different parts of the brain with different rhythms. And now their brain, their body starts to be more responsive. It's so interesting how our bodies can be responsive to the environment and to sound and to sight and to light and to exercise, any type of movement. Well, and we all know that instinctively by our gym playlists that we put together. I mean, it's sure. a different thing, but it's, it's the music that, that moves how you're going to operate in the gym. Yeah. You know? For probably a year and a half, I listened to the exact same song from my peak set of every workout. What was it? Well, I had a custom song put together for my 2012 Mr. Olympia posing routine. No big deal. But the reason it was a big deal, not because the music, was because my son was in it. And my son was, he was born in 2012. And uh, I did the Olympia in 2012. And he was saying dada in the background the whole time. So that was just like. Oh, you're making my cold heart. (laughs) You're thawing it out today. No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, you're getting there. Okay. But I want to bring it back a little bit because this is the, this is the area that you and I are going to, and I'm not even going to say butt heads, but just kind of, (laughs) we're coming at it from slightly, slightly different places in our life and also perspectives. And, you know, I was talking, we're, we're Mulder and Scully on a couple of these things and my I'm referring back, and I don't know if this is Charles Poliquin. I'm attributing it to him because I think it was. But in terms of coaching and teaching and getting people to enact new behaviors in their life, there's sort of like a matrix. And the two kind of key axis points are how receptive the person is to doing it and how important the thing is. So if we're looking at key elements being sleep, meditation or stress reduction, diet and exercise, right? Let's just say those are sort of key points. Sure. And let's say in my example that sleep is really hard for me, working out's no problem. The diet part, if like sometimes it's kind of tough, but once you get me in the, in the routine, I'm good, right? So you might look at this sort of matrix and be like, the most important thing for her to work on is sleep, but that's the biggest, hardest hurdle for her. So sure. let's approach first some of these easier things, get those sorted out well, first. So, but I, it's like a progressive right. sort I'm of thing. I'm going to look at the things that are leading to sleep causes, right? Like I'm not necessarily going to look at your sleep and go, can you fix your sleep? Here's a bunch of supplements, I'm going to say, okay, well, what are the reasons why you're having bad sleep? You have to look at the root cause. I'm not looking at the symptom, right? I'm looking at the cause. But yeah, absolutely. Like there's definitely, you know, I just call them bottlenecks, right? Everyone has a bottleneck and like, what's the, what's the biggest bottleneck right now? And anytime you start with, with me, if you're working as, with me as a coach or any one of my coaches, we're looking at kind of this, this hierarchy, right? So 
everything I believe is falls underneath stress. Like the, the minute you can manage stress, anxiety, everything goes away. So with stress, it's often a chicken or the egg scenario with sleep because sometimes and oftentimes you find that people who have stress and anxiety don't sleep mm-hmm. and then they get worse stress and anxiety because they don't sleep. sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, you have to look at which is my easiest point of entry to fix that. Cause so, and again, people heard this recent podcast with Phil Ernie. Phil's like, well, just reduce their calories and they can lose body fat. I'm like, no, man, that's just not real. Like, yes, in theory, that's brilliant. But in reality, it just doesn't work because why do people overeat? Because they're stressed. Like everyone overeats because they're stressed. So it's this feeling that they get and they go, well, I'm going to go have some shit now. Okay. Well, how do we get rid of that feeling so they don't have the necessity to overeat? And then we drop the calories, right? Because then they're like, oh, I can. I don't really feel that hungry right now. I don't really feel like I have this anxiety, but I need to eat this sugar to make it go away. Because you look at the physiology of stress, you know, you bring insulin up, stress goes down. That's the response. So why do people become addicted to alcohol and sugar and drugs and whatever? Because it's bringing down the stress response. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that stresses me out about stress. And that is that everything is stressful. And I don't even mean that in a cute way. Only, I only mean like- perception. That's not true though, because I find I will, I was going to a naturopath during my bodybuilding days when I was working out too much and eating the way bodybuilders eat and all of these things. And I was incurring stress that I didn't register as stress. I didn't feel like it was stress. Well, that's because your stress. default working is Working out is stress. Sure. Not working out is stress. Sleeping is stress. If you sleep too much, that's stressful. But it, it, it's not. If you're on Instagram too much, it's, re- it's relieving your stress, but it's also stressing you. Like it's everything sure. is a source but of stress. But it's not necessarily that stress is a problem. It's your response to stress and yeah. how much are you letting it the build, dose. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And how, I, well, not even the dose. It's like, so... Dr. Rick Hansen calls it the second dart, right? So I'm walking down the hallway and I kick a brick that somebody left in the hallway. So the brick is a stress. And then me going, ah, is it, that's the other stress. And then how long, and then, then the third stress is, well, friggin' put that there. And then you like, then you let it build in your brain, mm-hmm. right? So not letting that happen. The initial stress is inevitable. Like there's going to be a snake over there. There's going to be a lion over there. That stress is okay. But how long you let it play in your brain? So if I see a lion hide, hiding behind a tree, and I see it. And for the rest of my life, I'm worried about the line behind the tree. That's a problem because then your cortisol is constantly elevated. But if I, if I see the line behind the tree, it's gone and then I let it go. And I'm like, okay, I know there was a line there. Next time I come back, I see it and I think about it again, but it doesn't bother me for the rest of my life when I'm nowhere near that tree is kind of how you have to look at it. So it's your ability to control the second dart and, and the after effect. And that's where this meditation thing comes in. It's because if you can be present in this moment, I'm not going to dwell on the past. I'm not going to stress over the future. And but I is think- it not still more complicated than that? Because look, people who this sort of new uh, cultural shift where it's like women have to drink a bottle of wine every night to like relieve their stress. And I'm just speaking again from female experience. I'm in my mid thirties. All of my friends have kids at this point sure. and maybe long jobs and they go home and it's like this cute Instagram meme that like I need to drink a bottle of wine a night to get through my life. I'm not making any judgments. That for them is a stress reliever that is also adding stress to their body because they're basically putting poison in their body every day and that's affecting how their body operates and functions in the long term. So it's not necessarily always, I agree with you that that how you perceive the stress and how you internally manage that stress. But why does my job and having kids have to be a stress? It's their perception of those things, right? Like, why do I need to have a bottle of wine at the end of the day? Because I perceive those things prior to be stressful. Someone who's truly striving for greatness or, or to be a high achiever, you train your mind to only look at the good things, right? And so I've realized now having kids that default negative mode is always, it's, it's born in you, right? Yeah. 
like my children have this default, like negative thought and could be because of their mother. It could be because of their, their being born that way, but they have that. And, and I'm training them now to say like, Hey, okay, that's awesome. You see that negative thing there. That's going to keep you safe. What could you find that was positive in this? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Hey, we got a speeding ticket and well, what's bad. We didn't, but we did say we did. And well, what could we find that's positive in that? Or, Hey, I, I just, you know, burned my hand on the stove, dad. Oh, what can we find that's positive in that, right? And there's so many things if you look deeper. So training your mind to make that the default. So when I look at things now, like I told you, this is the blessing and curse of who I've become is like, I see the good in people now and I no longer see the negative and that's good for me, life, but it's also bad for me because sometimes I can kind of, as Jordan Peterson would say, well, you're you're, you're sweeping the, the dragon under the rug, right? And the dragon's eating the crumbs and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's, it's so how do you combat that then? Uh, awareness. So like I'm aware of people's negative side. I just choose not to see it oftentimes. Again, like I'm a pretty aware guy. I'm not stupid. Like I, I grew up on, you know, the streets, basically the streets, mm-hmm. the streets, Toronto, right? I raised myself from seven. So like I'm a very aware human of bad people. I just try not to be anywhere near them. Like, so, you know, the five people you surround yourself with rule, I'm very much an advocate of that. Like, mm. I just don't mess with people who are assholes. And I say this all the time. I'd rather make less money in business with great people than a shitload of money with assholes. Like, and not everyone agrees with me on that, but making a bunch of money and being stressed and, and worried these guys are going to fuck you or, or stab you in the back or it's a terrible place to be. I've been there mm-hmm. and like, I just don't want to do it. So yes, I see the, stre- the, the negative in people. I just don't make it my focus. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's actually a really important exercise for people to do that sort of, are you really the median of like the five people that you hang out with? Go for it. If you want Mm. some of that. I had this experience. I'm just going to Instagram the fact that you're drinking something with an artificial sweetener. Oh, jeez. Come on. Well, all right. Hashtag nobody's perfect. Anyway, the five people. I had a, a really kind of Am I in this picture? I'm trying to sound smart on your podcast and you're distracting me here. Okay. I had to go through an experience with this where I was struggling with feeling like I didn't have friends that were supportive and I didn't have friends that were... Yeah. Find some. Well, this is is past now. This was like a late 20s kind of situation. And it really took introspection that you would have been proud of me, Ben, where I'm like, instead of thinking my five people are shitty, I'm like, if those are the five people and I'm the average, I'm shitty. This is a problem. I'm doing something wrong. Even if it's just allowing shitty people into my life, even if it's just sort of not being willing to have the tough conversations that you have to have with people to get what you want, the, the right kind of communication. But that is something that I think is really valuable because if you actually take a hard look, if you're like, all the people I hang out with are more successful and they're helpful and they're wise and they're caring, you're like, I'm doing something right. If you're like, I hang out with all shitty people, why are all these people shitty? There's something that's something Absolutely. you need to work sure. on. And yeah, I, it me, took me a while me to get there. earlier in my bodybuilding career. Yeah. I was like, I, like, I realized that everyone served a purpose in my life rather than bringing something to my life. If that makes yeah. sense. It's like, you had friends for certain scenarios or if you needed something, like, so rather than actually having people who brought substance and, you know, honestly, until I was 30 years old, I didn't have, I have friends in my life, very few who are from prior to me being 30, but they're amazing human beings and people have- They know all your me. secrets so you can't let them they go. know everything. Yeah. I have no secrets. <laughs> I have no secrets. Yeah, you do. We'll get well, to it. We'll get to it. Um, but so yeah, the people who have come into my life since then, like I'm, I feel like I'm just the most blessed for, person in the world. Like the people who I would call lifelong friends and- I can't for the life of me imagine that ever not being the case now, but literally from prior to being 30, I don't talk to anyone. 
like, yeah. well, a couple of buddies from college or something, but very few, very, very few. And that's, I know, is not a reflection of everybody else. This is why this shit started with me, right? This is why this podcast started because I was a fucking asshole. And it wasn't an asshole like to other people necessarily. I just didn't think about anybody else. I didn't care about anybody else. I was just so myopically focused on being this great bodybuilder. And it was just a terrible existence. I was angry all the time. I was unhappy. I was probably depressed. I don't know if I was. I was probably medicating in some way, like not with like, you know, pharmaceuticals, but I was probably, you know, maybe more testosterone or more supplements or fuck, who knows? Exercising three times a day, right? That was my medication. I just happened to choose one that was that was positive. But it's a terrible place to be. In, and I want to encourage everyone to realize that it's not necessary to get to the top. It's not you don't have to fucking step on people to get to the top. Not think I, I don't think I did. Maybe, maybe I did more than I needed to, but uh, it's just not necessary to live that unhappy life of being a monster to get to the top. You know, like we talk about it in, in finance as well. There's people out there who are just going to fucking crush everybody because no matter what, I'm going to cut your throat so I can get, so I can make my millions. You're going to be, I know so many multi, multi-millionaires who are fucking depressed and want to kill themselves. And I wouldn't train their, their life for mine in a million years. Mm-hmm. And they would to pay anything to trade with me, mm-hmm. right? And like, I don't have what they have, but I have peace of mind and I have a heart and I have people that care about me and that's so valuable. And now I feel like I've got this strong foundation to build on and I can build something great from here. So, you know, it took me time and I've built this foundation. I've made a lot of stupid mistakes, but I've got this foundation that feels like it's solid. I've got these great people around me that are honest with me that now like, okay, hey, I can be this great person now. And it's going to be so, my belief is going to be so much exponentially faster and less painful for me. And when I get there, I don't have to hurt people. I can actually bring people along for the ride, right? Being the lonely millionaire, billionaire is not fun. Like I literally, you can imagine how many I've trained over the years. Like I, I know hundreds of people who are, have $20 million plus, hundreds, and not a lot, but some are very, very unhappy. Yeah. There's a lot of diminishing returns there. I think anybody who knows anyone with a lot of money personally knows that money, it's the whole cliche. It doesn't bring you right. happiness. There's, well, there's muscle, a level, right? there's a certain level, of right. course, there's a certain level of success or money or achievement or whatever that's, that is great. Freedom. And that is going to give you a lot of like self-satisfaction. Sure. And then there's the diminishing returns. I, I mean, we all learn that when we do bodybuilding the hard way that sure. you really think when you look the best you can possibly look, you get a six pack, everything's sorted out. Right. And then you get a six pack. You post a picture on Instagram, a bunch of people like it, and you go on with your life. And you're like, oh shit, now I actually have to still be. And then it's almost worse because you have that post uh, depression, right? Like, so you're getting this huge high. I just got my pro card, and everyone's blowing smoke up your ass about how great you are. And then two weeks later, it's crickets, and you go, oh shit. I realize I'm dependent on that, and I'm searching through Instagram to find something to make me feel good about myself. And then I'm searching my life to post some bullshit picture to get more likes. And it's a spiral where you're literally chasing likes rather than chasing uh, achievement, right? Rather than chasing fulfillment in your life to become a better person, you're chasing this fucking external gratification bullshit. And that's where we live. Controversial question. Number one, she coming says up. with a smile. <laughs> Leaning in. <laughs> Do you think it's possible for a person to be a competitive bodybuilder and be well-adjusted? Yeah, I think so. That, I don't know. That's a tough question because I don't know that anyone would choose professional bodybuilding if they're well-adjusted. That's what I'm um, saying. Yeah, I mean, it's I, like self-selecting for people well, who are not maybe, necessarily. Right. <laughs> maybe. Well, anything that's an extreme sport is usually, I think, self-selected for people who are not well-adjusted. Like nobody gets on the bike and decides they're going to do the Tour de France because they're well-adjusted. Like nobody becomes a Navy SEAL because they're well-adjusted, right? Like there's something that about you that's like, 
I have some inner angst or some inner fear or something that like I have this, maybe, maybe there's a bit like, and, and this is what I'm seeking, right? So maybe there's this belief in my mind that in youth, something has to have happened to create that drive. Um, but then there's also, so you have these internal drives that can be either negative or positive, right? So either running away from the stick or running toward the carrot. And the suggestion is in science that you need both. Right, so if you're, I forget what the book is, but there's a book that talks about motivation that says the ideal scenario is you need both. You need to run toward some thing that's bigger than you, and you need to run away from pain. So my ignorance in saying that no, there isn't people who can become professional bodybuilders and still be well adjusted is just my bias. I can't definitively say because there's certainly people out there who are very, very high level achievers. People are crushing in all aspects of life who are completely well adjusted. So it must be possible. It's just and, and, really rare. Yeah. Well, and I believe I could go back and do it now. Like I, I could certainly have, but I didn't have the purpose. So I, I don't, I can't say definitively, but I think, so again, coming back to this, how do you create a, a strong foundation to build off of become a great human being who one loves yourself, is able to give love to other people then, you know, and, and thereby you're surrounding yourself with great people who have, there's a reci uh, reciprocal love, like a reciprocal care. Mm -hmm. It's to be love. You don't like that word, but it's just. This oh, don't say that. Now I sound like a terrible person. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, you know doesn't I mean. like the word love, guys. Well. We'll work that out in, right. in subsequent episodes. <laughs> yeah. But giving and caring without asking for anything in return and having these people around who are doing the same for you gives you this foundational psychological health, right? So as human beings, we need social interaction and we need to feel comfortable and safe in that social interaction for us to thrive and build the foundation of, of greatness. And until you're a great person who loves themselves and can give to other people freely, you can't build that that mountain to start that foundation is to build the mountain, right? So we all need to aim for that. And that's kind of the big piece that I'm that I'm hoping to get across is mm -hmm. like you know, authenticity and love and, and honesty. Like that's hard shit to do in this world. When you know everyone's judging, you know everyone's looking at you, but you have to start there. And it's painful, right? It's very difficult. And it's it's not a it's not a even road. It's not a flat path, right? It's gonna be ups and downs. And there's gonna be times where you wanna go like, oh, I'm gonna tell a fib about this, but you get like ultimately the greatest person is the person who's completely honest about with themselves and completely honest with other people and be completely authentic and and authentic to me doesn't mean like I'm going to post the picture on Instagram of how depressed I am right now. And like that, who gives a shit? Like if it's going to inspire somebody else, cool. But like you're literally still just reaching for likes and, and authentic. authenticity is like be authentic with yourself, right? If you say you're going to do it, you do it. And, you know, being authentic with the people around you that matter most who, you know, will be honest with you if you're not honest with them. I think that foundation allows you to then build something on top of that. And I'm striving for that. That's the point of my life that I'm in right now is I still think laying this foundation of having people around you who are adding to your life and you know you're adding to them selflessly and they'll be honest with you so, and you have to be honest with them and you're authentic. And that is the most, in my eyes, the most beautiful place to live and begin this next journey of bringing more people along for the ride and inspiring more people. Oh man, that's a lot. How do you, how do you, how do you start to be authentic with yourself? I think some of us are really good at lying to ourselves. Call your own bullshit. And, and how, how do you even know what your own bullshit is? Cause going back to the well-adjusted thing, what, what does that even mean? That's so relative. Everything's so relative. What seems completely normal and well-adjusted and healthy to you looks extreme and crazy. Well, it doesn't to matter else. what it is to somebody else, right? It only matters to you. And, and the reality is it's probably like the layers of the onion where, you know, you're thinking you're being authentic and you're going, oh, why am I doing that? And like, 
I just ask, I'm a very um, self-reflective person, like I'm very inquisitive. And that's maybe why I've become the person I am is that I'm always aware. I wasn't always self-aware, but I'm now always relatively aware of what I'm doing, why I'm doing it and, and why I'm making certain decisions. Um, and just trying to be honest with yourself and I'm still not there. Like there's still things where you're like, yeah, you're probably doing that for some reason that you're not even aware of, but it has to start with, with the things that are obvious in your life, right? There's certainly things in your life that you know right now that you're fucking lying about, right? And you're like, okay, I need to stop that. Like whatever it is, stop that. Stop lying to anybody, stop lying to yourself. And from there, it will spiral. It'll be like the, you're getting the big things out of the way first. And then you'll start just starting to pay attention to, oh, well, that wasn't the truth. Like certain times, and I'll do this, I've done this recently, I find myself t- telling just a little white lie to somebody lately and I was like, oh, I literally stopped myself in the middle. I was like- This is how it starts. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Because then you got to keep it up. It's hard though to to do that. And I don't like using this word radical but because a lot of self-help people use it. And I think it's dumb, like radical honesty and radical love. I don't think honesty and love are radical things. They shouldn't be, but it's hard to be very deeply, truly honest with yourself when you are concerned about the judgment and the feelings and the potential hurt you're going to cause others. Because as you said, we are very social creatures sure. and there, there's it's hard to think of yourself in a vacuum and like being honest with myself right. means being honest well, to everyone else. So here's else. the reality. There's no doubt that some people are going to give you back, backlash when you're honest, right? If you come out on, on social media, if you come out with your friends and family and people are going to not accept you, good. Why do you care? Those aren't the right people. You just self-selected, right? The people who do accept you, who accept your honesty, who accept the real you, that just, that tells you something. And it, it's going to be a lot of pruning, Right, it's going to be a lot of pruning the people out of your life who are superficial, and we live in such a superficial world. It almost disgusts me how superficial we are. So it'll help, you know. And is it going to be challenging? Good, because the people who show up will be the ones that accept the real you, and that's the only way to create the foundation. You have to prune. Yes, it's hard. Good, sit with it. Are you going to be stressed about it? Probably. Are you going to have anxiety? Maybe. Are you losing nights of sleep? Maybe. Get up and meditate. Gives you more reason to meditate. <laughs> Truthfully, like, why did I start meditating? Because there was people in my life that pushed me, my buttons so hard that I wanted to smash them. So I was like, okay, well, Hulk can't smash people. Hulk has to can't sit down. Can't drink a bottle of wine at night. Right. So. Hulk needs to sit down and learn how to breathe through this shit. And that was literally it. Like I had a life coach, 2007. I said, man, like some days I get pretty damn angry about this stuff. And I, like, I'm a 310 pound man. I, I can't get angry at people. And like, okay, well, how do I learn to control this? I didn't quite say it in that way, but- <laughs> How do I not Hulk smash everyone? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's there's some genes, right? The, the, there's a comp T mutation, which is like if your catecholamines don't get recycled, right? So the catecholamines like uh, adrenaline, cortisol become elevated. And most people have a natural, they go up, they come down. Me, I have the Hulk smash gene, which means it goes up, they'll come down, stays mm-hmm. up. <laughs> so uh, I have to be very aware of like, hey, what things set me off? And that's probably also why people in my family have a history of substance abuse, right? You get stressed about something, what happens? Well, I need to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with it myself. It doesn't go away. Medicaid. Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was very blessed to learn about that. Have you talked at length about your meditation practice on the podcast? Never. So let's do that right now. My current one? Well, let's start from the beginning because yeah. you've been doing it for a while. So like most people, and when you start meditating, it's extremely uncomfortable. Like I was big and I was like, God, I don't want to fucking sit here. So I Can you even my, sit cross-legged? Could you in 2007? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're doing all right. Bodybuilding yogi. Right. Yeah. I was, I was big, but I was very mobile. I guess that's a relative thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
If you can sit cross-legged, you're doing all right. Yeah. And not fall over. Mm-hmm. That was the challenge in the beginning. It's like leaning backwards. So I started there and it actually started with Dr. Wayne Dyer. He's got some meditations that I followed and he became my greatest inspiration when I was in 2007 when I started this kind of spiritual thing. I read many of his books. It was just like as long as I could withstand and the next day I would try to do it better. So it started probably with five to seven minutes, right? Like how long can I sit here and keep my eyes closed and not feel like I'm going to Hulk smash? Was it guided or was it just you yes, sitting? No. Well, kind of both. So in okay. the beginning it was often just like a Wayne Dyer. I think I had like CDs or something aging me. So I start with that and I did it consistently for a couple months. And eventually I was doing, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And when I really started to see a difference was when I stopped using the guided meditations and started doing it myself and having an intention. So I'd just go in and I'd say, you know, here, I'm going to do X amount of time of this and some arbitrary amount of time. And then I'm going to do X amount of time of this and that. And so this and that may be, you know, I just want to try to be mindful of everything in my body. So it's mindful of my breath. It's mindful of my spine. It's mindful of my muscle tone and trying to make sure you have control over your body and your awareness. And then it's maybe setting an intention like I want to have, you know, uh, try to bring the feeling of gratitude into my body. So people sometimes can intellectualize gratitude, but the actual feeling of gratitude to, you know, that's actually like something that can exist in your body. Well, creating that and be able to create it at will in meditation is a superpower. So, you know, probably can't do it now. I've been as consistent with the gratitude meditations, but for many points throughout my life over the last couple of years, like I can literally sit here and think about something and become grateful for it. So the way it starts is you think about something in your life that you're massively grateful for. For me, it was my kids, right? That's where it started. And now, okay, I'm thinking of my kids and I think about the time when like, you know, maybe I was most grateful. So their birth or, you know, the, their first birthday or whatever. And so I create that in my mind and I, I take myself back there and I remember that feeling. And then I just have to as often as I can recreate that feeling and eventually just there, it's kind of there as soon as you close your eyes. Mm -hmm. So now if I'm going through a tough scenario, I just have to go back there and I learn how to anchor that feeling to other scenarios. So if I want to feel grateful about the fact that you're sitting here with me, if I want to be grateful for the fact that it's a beautiful sunny day out there, if I want to be grateful for the fact that I'm alive and I've, you know, what a wonderful life, I could just create that. Um, So so you can access that place more quickly now because you've been doing it consistently over time. And people need to realize you can do that with any emotion positive or negative, mm-hmm. right? So it, do you get angry fast? Well, stop. Like you just need to train something else. So if you feel that anger, come on. I've actually, ironically did this with my son this morning. We had to sit down and have this conversation about um, how emotions exist in the body. And he goes, well, daddy, I don't always feel it. And I go, okay, well, let, where, where do you feel it right now? And he goes, I don't really know. He's like, feel it in my head. Okay, well, h- tell me how it feels. So he started describing his anger and he's like, oh, it feels like this. I'm like, okay. Is it okay? Like, I just wanted him to realize that it wasn't, he wasn't going to die. It wasn't like, I need to panic. It was just there. Like, okay, how about we just think about it for a minute? What happens to it? Ah, oh, it kind of goes away. Oh, okay. Well, so that you had that fear, you had that anger, you felt it there, you acknowledged it, and you realized that for thinking about it for a minute and controlling your breath, it went away. Oh, okay. Now, maybe instead of that, maybe we could think about what was, what about this? made you happier, made you grateful, or made you joyful. And now we just switched the the anchor, right? Anyways, that's a long-winded conversation, but it kind of starts going down this esoteric pathway of it's just daily practice. Mm-hmm. And you can create any mind, any emotion you want. It's just daily practice. It's extremely powerful. Like- so simple. As humans, we look for these complex answers, right? Mm-hmm. So when people start working with me, I literally say, you, okay, actually you sign up with coaching for me today. Okay. For the first 30 days, you have three targets. You want to know what they are? Hmm. breathe, walk, meditate. Can you do that? Most people go, uh, are you serious? I'm like, 
that's it. Like, how can we make changes on top of things that you, you can't even control? Like you have to be able to control your emotions. You have to be able to control your like walking and breathing. The reason those are there, those are the two most reflexive movement patterns in the body. Like you should be able to do them consciously and well, right? Like, or, and eventually it becomes unconscious and then it becomes well, but like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Can I take long strides? Do I feel good about how I breathe when I'm walking? Do I feel good about how I breathe when I'm sitting? Is it, you know, physiological? Like, is it into my diaphragm or is it up here in my chest? Is it a stress breath or, or a diaphragmatic parasympathetic breath? So, again, those are your foundations of, of proper health. I actually like that approach too, that initially, whether I like the idea of meditating for 30 days or not, it's you're adding something. Stand like a tree for a hundred days. Yeah, thanks, Paul. You're adding things to someone's life rather than immediately taking things away. And this is something that I've talked a lot with different coaches. It's very easy to say, okay, we'll just cut out all the gluten first and we'll see how that works for you. Or like, just stop doing chronic cardio and do this instead. But by initially, like the first thing you're doing is talking about adding to your life and that whether that's your mental well-being or just adding beneficial practices to your everyday life adding instead of taking away, I think is already setting up your mind to be in a better place. Most people won't do that, right? Like I think for most people, you have to take away as well because most people are living this life of, I don't have time to make all those, to do all those things. That's BS. Of course it's BS. That's one thing I like to call very strong BS because I know people way busier than, it's about priorities. It's always about priorities. Man, if people just cut out an hour of Instagram a day- (laughs) hour or two. Yeah. Netflix. Okay. But wait, we got off topic because you kind of, you got to bring it back around to what you're doing meditation wise today. So now I've been, it's very, very simple. I think I've talked about it all the time. I start with 10 minutes of Sam Harris every day because I I just love his ability to articulate what you should be thinking about and feeling. So it kind of anchors me so that I at least know I'm going to do 10 minutes every day. And this is his app and it's a guided 10 minutes. Yeah. It's called waking up. You can do 10 or 20. So the first 50 days, you do 10 minutes. And then once you do those 50 days in a row, you can open up the next daily meditation, which is awesome. He's got lessons in there. It's, I guess I suggest it to everybody. And then after that, I'll do um, either a guided one from Alan Watts, I love, or uh, Wayne Dyer or Joe Dispenza, or I'll just do 20 minutes on my own, 20, 30 minutes on my own. Like and is this consecutive or are you doing like the 10 minutes in the morning and then like I'll another session right after. So the Sam Harris app will end and I'll just keep going. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, cause I like it so much, like it's, and he does such a great job. I actually look forward to it. And that's because that's a positive anchor. I'm like, all right, let's keep it there. Right. Cause like certainly still times when I get away from meditation, right. You're on the road, you're traveling, you got to get up, you got to go like staying with other people, whatever it is. Right. So there's things that allow me to get away from the meditation, but that's just such a great positive reinforcement. I'll either do it first thing in the morning. Lately I've been doing it before bed too. Okay. Do you, what are your thoughts on walking movement-based meditation? So walking meditation uh, yeah. or just using a practice like martial arts or something like, I use this as an excuse because I don't want to sit and meditate because it's scary. And we've talked about this. I'm on and off with it, but I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Working out's my meditation. Like I do jujitsu. Sure. And when I, when I am rolling, when I'm training, there is it's nothing not else in my mind. I'm more present than any other time. Yeah, I get it. It's not the same because there needs to be a conscious practice toward creation, right? So there's this, you know, you picture it like an ocean that's, you know, very wavy and turbulent and like, you got to settle it first and then you create an intention, right? So sitting down to to do jujitsu or even training, it's absolutely meditative. But if you're actually looking in my eyes, if you're actually looking to create your greatest life, you need to have an intention of like, first I need to steady the ocean. I need to make it calm 
And then I need to create an intention around, well, what is it? Is it my ability to create gratitude? Is it my ability to create joy? Is it my ability to create abundance? You can create all those feelings and emotions in your in your life, in your mind before you go out into the world. And I think that is, like I say, it's a necess- necessary part of it. Like this mindfulness meditation is great and, and becoming aware and being able to calm down the stress. That's the foundation, right? Like start there. Um, but the next phase is like you have to actually go out and start creating before you can expect your world to become great. So jujitsu doesn't count is what you're saying. I got to no. do the real stuff. It's okay. awesome, but it's not, it's not the same thing. Right. Like I think it's, it's a great form of, you know, meditative exercise and walking meditations are great too. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same though. Like it's, it's brilliant to be able to calm a turbulent mind when you're doing that's meditation or walking. Yeah. That's a modern superpower yeah. for sure. Would you ever do one of those? And I'm asking this because I'm kind of scared, but kind of want to, um, one of those like three to five to seven day, like silent meditation retreats. A thousand percent. Have you done one yet? No, but I'm. Okay. We should do one. I'm a thousand percent. You know, there's some all over Ontario, right? Like there are actual, I mean, I don't know what the facility is called. I'm sure there's a word. I don't want to misuse it, but where you like, they're set up for this sure. kind of process and you go and yeah, you can do three and five to seven days. I don't think I'd like to do it in Ontario though. I think I'd like to go somewhere else. You want to go somewhere cooler? Okay. Where it's warm. And I mean, not it's mosquitoes. plenty warm here right now. They've yeah, got, anyway, no we'll look into this <laughs> offline, but I mean, that's a, that's a hugely challenging thing. And if you've read any of these articles about people who have gone and experimented with this stuff. So do, do you know me? <laughs> the, the way I learn things is I can't stick the big toe in. Like I don't do that. Really so you're going to well. go straight to the seven days. Yeah. I'll probably go to 10 days. Okay, great. Yeah, so the way I learned to snowboard is I went to the top of the highest black diamond in Whistler. It was a double Tumbled black diamond. down. And just fucking <laughs> strapped on the snowboard and I went. It took me six hours, but I made it to the bottom and I learned how to snowboard. That's just the way I like to do shit. Like, I get it. Like, one day is great, but I'd like to start with the deep I dive. I one day. I said five or seven five, days. Yeah, sure. But, okay, so then when you get into your some of this other stuff, we're going to be talking about some of your other physical goals that you may have coming up. You're not going to, like, run a 10K. You're going to go do Tour de France. You're going to go do like a full ultra marathon. Right? So I'll be honest, if I had the time in my life, I would do all of those. Like I love the idea of doing a tour. I love the idea of doing a marathon or a triathlon. Nobody wants to do a marathon. Well, I've done a couple, I speak from experience. The yeah, worst. I don't know. Well, whatever. I, I, I like the idea of, of pushing my mind and my body. I just right now I don't have the time. I got a lot of things that I'm, that I'm balancing. Not a priority. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is, I mean, that could be my excuse for a long time. At some point, you're going to have to set the goal. But um, I'm building some things right now. I'm in, I'm in this creation phase. so It's very exciting. Yeah. But think about maybe what could happen with 10 days of silent meditation. I mean, well, it's I'll, extremely intimidating, but I mean- So the, I told you yesterday about John Amaral, who was a guest on the podcast. And yeah. I went to his place in Tahoe for four days or maybe five days. Uh, and I did the energy work thing. But the biggest thing I got out of it was-, was four or five days by myself. It was a huge house with 15 other people, but it was 25 bedroom house, massive. So um, I got to be alone for these first four days or whatever, or five days. And I came back with that and completely changed the direction of my life. Like that's when I switched over to Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I completely changed the framing of my business. Like I came back and basically let my entire team go because I was just like, I just can't live this way anymore. Just that time to be by yourself is so uh, introspective. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to write if I did a, Sound retreat, but probably right. Journaling oh, yeah. and such. Yeah. Yeah. 
That'd be good. Probably Although, right. I mean, there are some pretty strict rules for some of them, but I mean, I think it's just for, for some people, that is one of the most exciting parts about that is kind of forcing yourself to be alone and with yourself and with your thoughts. And that's exciting. And for some people, I think that's a very scary proposition. But that's where they need it. Yeah. And the thing, the reason I've done to this point, I think, is because most of them are vegan. I don't know that I'd want to not eat. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's really true. We could sneak in some beef jerky, strip loin <laughs> pockets. <laughs> Okay, so can I talk about? Can we go back to a little bit more tangible Whatever you like. things You're that are boss. less go scary? Okay, go so ahead. you were talking about meditating first thing in the morning, sometimes last thing at night. Can you walk through what your everyday morning routine is for those of us voyeurs who just want to know what your day is like? Yeah, so I get up, I brush my teeth, and what I time floss you get first. Up? Well, I think I told you this. Like for for a really long time, it was four thirty, but for the last three months, it's been more like five thirty. Sometimes six, never six. It's never as late as six. Five, five thirty, five forty-five, and that's not with a, not with alarm. That's just when I wake up. Um, and I always brush and floss first because one, flossing is important. <laughs> Dental hygiene, uh, but two, I think there's. I have a belief, or uh, I don't know if it's a belief, but I have an awareness that there could be some negative effects of consuming the plaque that accumulates in your mouth. Hmm. So uh, if you ask some dentists, and this could completely just be a marketing scheme. They suggest that can that the bacteria that grows there is very very gross negative technical term gross. gross yeah so I always brush and floss first so I don't like drink water like I don't want to consume it like I just brush and floss and then I have a big glass or multiple glass of water so probably a liter to a liter and a half of water and then I'll sit down and meditate and the meditation like I said could be anywhere from ten to thirty minutes do you have like a space that you go and like will you sit anywhere does it matter to you the thing that matters to me is that the light is not artificial. So I'll go outside or I'll sit in my living room and there's no artificial light. So I go to the point of like covering up all the little like blue lights that come off the electrical stuff and I don't want any artificial light. So it's either dark, which often it is in the wintertime or in the summertime. Sometimes the sun is up, I'll go sit on outside. So I do my 30 minute meditation. At that point, it's usually I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to go to the gym. So I'll either make coffee and go to the gym or I'll just get outside and go for a walk and walk is often- What do you put in your coffee? MCT is always in there. I don't. I don't even think I like coffee anymore. I just like the MCT. whole like. Well, I like the <laughs> the, way it the makes warm beverage yeah. with MCT and collagen. There are other me. options if you're not into coffee anymore. We can we could discuss that. Yeah. I'm actually looking potentially. I love coffee. I do love coffee, but like black coffee. I really like black coffee when I was a bodybuilder. But now, if you put a black cup of coffee in front of me, I won't touch it. Mm. It's got to have my. I'll give you my concoction. It's what I call my intelligence coffee. So it's um, MCT five grams, collagen ten grams, uh, lion's mane three grams. Uh, 600 milligrams alpha GPC, and then I'm rolling. My brain's lit. What does alpha GPC do for you? It's a choline donor, so okay. it's a precursor to acetylcholine in the brain. Okay. So for anyone who spends a lot of time exercising or a lot of time thinking or wants to improve their brain or gets rid of headaches for some people, uh, great, great thing for to take acetylcholine. Is that intelligence coffee uh, recipe, which you should post somewhere so people can try it for I themselves? Probably have. Yeah. yeah. That's more for cognitive benefits, but there's some physical sort of like yeah. recovery feel good effects as well. Yeah. So collagen, I, I put collagen in not for the protein, but for the glycine. So the detox benefits of glycine. Mm-hmm. Lion's mane has become like my new favorite thing because brain growth and alpha GPC, same thing. Like when I started t- taking alpha GPC, it was like someone just turned the lights on. I was like, wow, I didn't know my brain could work like this. And when I don't take it, it doesn't work as well. So, because I, I know, and I know the reason why. One, I'm, I'm chronically deficient in it. But two, I train a lot, and it burns through off GPC. 
Two, when you're learning, it tends to break down alpha-GPC faster. If you take any other additional nootropics, which I do, not every day, but sometimes it burns through more alpha, more um, choline. Mm-hmm. So you have to support more choline. So uh, people often ask what other nootropics I take. So I t- take some aniracetam, some maybe twice a week, like on days when I don't have podcasts or days when I know I'm going to have a lot of writing, a lot of work to do, aniracetam. And what's this now? Talk about the, I don't it's know what that one is, but is it like, is it on its own in pill form? Is it? Yeah. yeah. You can take okay. pill or powder. Okay. So I take 500 milligrams usually of aniracetam. It's great. Works well. And I That's got that. one I haven't used. I'm kind of interested in. I'll bring some. Yeah. I probably have some in my bag actually. Okay. <laughs> Drug pusher. Yeah. So actually I got that from Dave Asprey. I'll give him credit because I'm very skeptical about putting shit in my body that affects my brain. When he said he took it every day for eight years and I was like, okay, it's probably not that bad. Although you could argue otherwise. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> uh, arguable. Okay. No, nah, I'm just kidding. I like, but yeah, so he took it every day for eight years. And he said, man, it really made difference. And I was like, okay, let's try this. And I like it. It makes a difference. I also take once a week or maybe once every two weeks, I take Nupept. Nupept is fucking amazing, but you definitely feel a negative effect after. So you feel a little bit retarded after you take it. Hmm. Like you're, you feel amplified when you're on it, but down when you're off. Oh, so, so there's like a come down effect that right. you've got to do. But I've, with. I've found ways to mitigate that by taking some acetylcholine, so some GPC. Or sometimes I'll take some citrophenoxin, which is uh, another acetylcholine contributor. So if I do that, it usually mitigates it. But I also know that I don't take it often. I just take it when I have a big day of writing to do, when I really need to focus. You really need an extra push. Mm-hmm. Do you cycle, going back to the coffee and also these nootropics that you kind of take on a daily basis, do you cycle off of the stuff? Like, will you... Yeah, I don't do coffee all the time. Yeah. Like, well, I don't miss it if I don't do it. Like, if I go on the road, I don't take it. I don't drink coffee. But when I'm home, I kind of like to. I just... I, I don't even nice know that ritual. I need it. Yeah, I don't even know that I need it. I just enjoy it. And I, for a long time, I switched over to a rooibos, rooibos rooibos, tea because yeah. I know I'm neglecting the caffeine. But it doesn't did, taste as good. Yeah, I, with my concoction, it does. It tastes great. But I um, I didn't notice a difference when I stopped caffeine. I didn't realize like, I don't know if, I'm a, if I don't respond well to caffeine or what, but I didn't need it. Well, have you ever done the 23andMe? It tells you if you're a um, Yeah, I'm, good a fa- I'm a fast metabolizer. Ca- yeah, I am yeah. a slow metabolizer. It's like yeah. if you drink a coffee, you'll be feeling that shit four days later. And yeah. yet, I still do it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fast. Like, I could drink no coffee and feel great. I could drink three cups and feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit, like I told you yesterday, I get a little bit like anxious or maybe a little bit amplified. And my brain doesn't work as well when I drink yeah. too much coffee. But I don't feel any more energetic. Yeah. Okay, so intelligence coffee, then you go for a walk. Yeah. And then I'll come back. Um, so I'll be on. Sometimes the meditation happens before the walk or sometimes it happens after. If the kids are in my house, it'll always happen before because I assume when I come back for the walk, someone's going to be awake. Um, but the ideal scenario, I think, is to do the walk or to do the walk first and then do the meditation after. Or yeah. And then, so we'll do that. And then after the walk, it'll often either be, as I said, training or yoga. And I usually just alternate those when I'm at home. Great yoga place um, that I go to. So I alternate, alternate days. So um, you haven't eaten yet. So you normally exercise fasted. Yeah. Even if you're doing like a, if you're going and like crushing a heavy leg day or something, you'll still do it fasted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't suggest that. Like, if, if someone's looking to lose muscle or lose fat, great. But if you're trying to build muscle, don't do that. It's not a good idea. You need some. Need some aminos. Need some. So why do you carbs. do it? Well, I'm not trying to get any bigger. And I, I depending on the day, you may be actively trying to lose a little bit of mass. Yeah. Depending. So I think in general, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to lose body weight, right? Like I, I don't necessarily have an attachment to being small. But I want to weigh less on the scale. Like I'd like to just, you know, my waist needs to get smaller. So it's like eating smaller meals. It's losing body fat. And just less on the scale. Like I'm still 260 pounds. You know, my biggest was 320. So I'm down 60 pounds. But I'd still like to get smaller visually and just for 
health reasons. Mm -hmm. Do you, how long do you normally spend in the gym these days? If you're Uh, just on your own getting a workout in? 90 minutes, 75 to 90 minutes. Okay. But so again, we've talked about this. I think we're both very bored with training Mm -hmm. because one, I think the environment is so important, right? Which my gym is in Tampa is amazing, but the environment is so important. I get so fucking bored. Like, yeah. Gyms suck. The equipment sucks. Every time I touch an equi- piece of equipment, like something starts to hurt. I'm like, it's just the shitty equipment. So I've kind of been doing these like adjusted, almost hybrid workouts where like I'm doing mobility stuff. I'm doing organic movement stuff. I'm doing a lot of body weight stuff, just trying to do things that aren't hurting my body and I'm still strength based. So like this morning I went and I did, you know, quasi heavy deadlifts and I'll put a quotation around that because heavy for me right now is not very heavy. Supersetted with pull-ups and supersetted with push-ups, like my feet elevated and it's kind of just circuit that and then a little bit of arm training and like. How many reps of pull-ups are you doing? I always find it funny watching maybe. big bodybuilders do pull-ups. I'm like, man, that must be unpleasant well, I'm for super you. bottom heavy, right? <laughs> it's like I've got an anchor around my waist. Yeah, like you guys, like that's like a weighted, that's body yeah. weight stuff is like, it's a different scenario when you're over right. 250 pounds. Yeah. When I'm doing them consistently, I do like 10 to 12, but this morning it was like five or six. Mm-hmm. and that, But I'll do... 10 sets, maybe more. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I train. And I've always suggested people train that way is doing less exercises, doing more of them because mm-hmm. that skill acquisition is so important. Like getting really, really good at doing these things is is a huge missing piece for people. And people think, oh, three sets of 10, it's so stupid. Yeah. Like don't do six exercises and three, three sets of 10, do two exercises and do 10 sets. I think you get a better benefit. One thing I, I kind of want to touch on that you said here, because I think it's important for people to really internalize this for themselves is you have spent, again, like you've had a very long career in bodybuilding and you're known for being this guy who's in the meathead gyms doing the meathead things. And you have said, I'm getting tired of this stuff. And that doesn't mean forever. And it doesn't mean that you aren't still doing it sometimes. You can't find that passion again, but you're okay with being able to say, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to try something different. And it doesn't affect your sense of who you are. It doesn't affect, you know, your sense of being a fit person who cares about this stuff. Like you can kind of roll with that and be flexible and adaptable. And I think that that's important for people to realize because they take their part of their identity is how they work out and what their gym is and what their kind of like fitness community is. And I think that people can sometimes feel lost or feel like they're letting themselves down or they're giving up if you want to try something different. And I think that as long as you're committed to learning and having a healthy fit body and challenging yourself, it doesn't matter if you never do a bodybuilding workout again, that's okay. I think people also have a myopic view of the process of how it has to happen. Like it's got to be Heavy in the first exercise and like mid-range in the next one and then you pump at the end. Like it's just stupid. And, you know, sometimes you get machines and you got to do free weights. It's like it's fucking just dumb. Like people don't have a thought process. And this is what, what I teach at the camps now. Like I still teach muscle building because I still love it. But learning how to, you know, take this muscle-centric view rather than like exercise-centric view, right? Yeah. So I want you to think about what is the muscle doing and how can I challenge that most effectively and hardest and heavy so we challenge the muscle rather than being focused on what the exercise looks like because ultimately it doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a pec flying machine or a pec fly with a dumbbell or a cable. Like it's all just different means of uh, eliciting, eliciting a response or a challenge to this muscle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's a big thing that I think people need to wake up to mm-hmm. is it doesn't always have to be this same way of doing prescription. it. Yeah, yeah. There's no prescription. And I think even also approaching it from a skills uh, set or mindset versus a aesthetic mindset because we all want to look good. Let's just get that out of the way. Anybody who says they don't care about what they look like is lying through their teeth. But 
for me, like so we talked about this the other day, I've been doing meathead bodybuilding stuff for years and years and I love it. And there's a part of me that still very much loves it. But over the last few months, I've been bored. I've been going into the gym and going through the motions and it's boring and do that think, makes me sad. Do you sad. think it would be better if there was people around that you like doing the same thing or an environment they actually wanted to go to? Yes, but... I'm still, I think even if I went to the coolest, most fun, awesome meathead gym, I went to Tampa and was doing it with you, I'd still feel a call to try to do something different because I am not- As well or separate to? Maybe, maybe separately, yeah. maybe separately because I know what's always going to be there for me. Like that environment will always be there. I can always go back and do dealt raises for the rest of my life if I want to. Right. I like learn to learn, learn new skills. And so I was telling you what I did this summer is I shut down my Good Life membership so I can't be drawn back into going and doing my like boring kind of rote workouts. I, I shut it down for the summer and I signed up for another gym and I'm going to go do boxing and jujitsu all summer. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not worried about body composition changes. If anything, it's going to help. I'm not going to lose my muscle over three months. It's extremely challenging and hard work that I'm doing. And I'm learning a skill and I'm doing something different and my brain's going to be working differently. And then in September, October, if I want to go back and do my meathead stuff, I can do that. I don't, there's no sense of sort of failure or who am I if I'm not in the gym doing all my awesome bicep curls all day long. Right. It's You're learning something new. And I think that people, I wish that people would be a little bit more open to learning new things rather than picking something and sticking sure, to it. Sure. I did four months of... Um Muay Thai in my, in my gym, actually. I brought somebody in my gym and I was doing Muay Thai like on the turf in the gym. I think I scared a lot of people. <laughs> I'd love to see you doing big meat bags, swinging the kicks it. too. Yeah, yeah, the That's kicks. why I don't do Muay Thai. I went to my gym. I'm like, I'm not interested in kicking. Why? I only want to punch and, part. and wrestle and choke. We can go down that road another time, but I'm not interested in kicking. I don't know what to tell you. I just, I very, I, I, kicking well, jujitsu, and this is why you should do more of this because it's total mental game. It's amazing. It's you're playing chess with your body right. and you're, you're never good enough. You never win. There's so, always so another way to do it. So story around that. So this guy walks into, the, there's a gym next door to mine in Tampa, jujitsu gym. And this guy walks in and he just won the world championships in Europe and like he's amazing. I think he's a Middle Eastern guy, or German guy or something. And he's just, they're doing a class. It's like 6 p.m. My kids are in there doing it as well. So I'm watching this guy. He's like, you know, so everyone's like, oh, that's the champ. He just literally last weekend won the world championship. And I was like, oh, wow. So you know, he's like going into like school and everybody, right? And he's like really slapping everybody while he's doing it, like picking them tap out. Eight, five or six guys in a matter of 15 minutes taps him out. And then the owner of the gym comes up. And uh, so like, I think at least five or six guys, this guy just literally tapped out in minutes, like seconds. No to the gym walks up and he goes, let's go. He's in like his shorts and his t-shirt. And he, this world champion didn't fucking lay a hand on him. He turned him into a pretzel. And I was like, oh my God. And he just kept like, just made him look stupid. And he didn't even have an expression on his face. The owner of the gym was just like, he wasn't grimacing. He was completely calm. And I was like, oh my God, you just fucking tooled the world champ. Com completely tooled him inside out. I was like, okay, that gives me perspective on like the the gradients here. Because this yeah. guy was in the UFC. I won't say who he is, but he's you in the UFC. You can tell me offline, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I've never seen, like it was like this guy had never done jujitsu before. He just fucking tooled him. And I was like, crazy. oh my goodness. It's crazy. Yeah. But when we're talking about martial arts and I think jujitsu specifically, just because of the sort of submission aspect, like talk about being able to control your body by controlling your mind. Sure. Because that's another thing that if you have any experience with it at all, when you first start and you're rolling and you're kind of trying to find, you know, dominance or whatever, you're, you're 
holding your breath and you're tense, you're right. grabbing onto somebody for dear life. You're trying to get away from people when the whole thing that you have to do is relax calm and down. calm and breathe. Well, and- so that's, that was the most amazing thing about this. The owner of that gym is like, he literally looked like he was sitting on the couch, like yeah. watching the Simpsons flipping through the TV channels. His face was so calm. And I yeah. was like, he just tooled the world champion. You didn't fucking break a sweat. He probably yeah. tapped him out five times. And like the guy didn't even lay a hand on him. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So what happened with after the four months of Muay Thai? You were like, I'm done kicking. Just time, right? I, I was trying to balance between like still getting my workouts in once in a while and still getting the Muay Thai in. Like I do an hour twice a week. I think I was doing. Okay. It was good, but I was doing a lot of kicking. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I didn't have the skill yet, right? Like I needed more than twice a week to actually acquire the skill. I was yeah. mostly doing it for cardio and something different. Yeah, um, but I actually really enjoyed it. So I did That's it when awesome. I was when I was a teenager. I did some Muay Thai. It's something I really enjoyed. I might get back to, but just the idea of like, I like to have a goal and I don't see myself getting in the ring anytime soon. So I was like, yeah, let's shut this down. Yeah. That's uh, interesting actually. Cause I had a conversation. I interviewed the founder of this company called society nine and it's a company that makes combat gear and apparel and gloves for women. Because as you know, like we have different physiology, our hands are tend to be a lot smaller, a lot less meaty and, and our hands don't fit into regular boxing gloves. And what we've always had to do is just buy a size small. It's probably pink because that's right. how we know it's the girl one and they don't fit properly. So anyway, she has a martial arts background and she's starting this amazing company and they're beautifully designed and they fit properly and it's it's great. But we were talking about the difference between and the barrier for people in martial arts probably more than other sports where it's like, well, if you if your end goal isn't to compete, like what are you doing here? And that kind of stops a lot of people because if you think about CrossFit or you think about bodybuilding, like it's there's it's not always part of the conversation. Well, are you gonna get on stage? Because if not, like what are you really in here for? And CrossFit, are you gonna go to the games? If not, like what do you, you know, but it seems to be kind of different with combat sports and martial arts where it's like, well, are you going to compete? Cause if not, I mean, you know, just go to the rumble kind of gym in New York where it's like boxer size, you know, whatever, not to put them under the bus. But, but anyway, I think that's, that's kind of an interesting, an interesting point because I think especially for women, the competence and the confidence and the strength that you get from not only learning a skill, but learning something that can help make you feel safer and stronger and more able to manage situations, you know, self-defense, it's really important. And I think some people aren't getting into it because they're thinking they're intimidated and they're walking into a gym, like the gym that I go to, that I'm going to right now in Ottawa, it's a little bit like that. I am over that and I'm not intimidated because I've done it long enough and I also don't give a shit, but it can be very intimidating to people because if they're like, well, I just want to learn this skill. I just want to acquire this skill. And people are kind of trying to push you into a competitive route. It can be unfortunate. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.